Hey Mask Looks crew, what's happening? And what time is lunch? When do you think we're going to wrap? Yep, those are the questions I will ask at some point every day, probably mixed in with a few variations like, what the fuck is happening? Why are they shooting the shit out of this? Do you ever think we're getting out of here? And what's a crafty? Don't tell me I'm the only one. <laughs> anyway, today on the show, I'm chatting with the wonderful hair and makeup artist, Kate Benton. If you are UK based, I would be surprised if you don't know Kate or at the very least have heard of her. Kate is the proud owner of the makeup supply store named Pam, Precious About Makeup. Be sure to check out their Instagram page. They love to share tips and tricks every Tuesday. So do yourself a favor and fall into that scrolling hole for a while and learn some handy dandy stuff. The link in their Instagram is attached to this episode in the show notes. Just scroll down. And speaking of show notes, just for your own information, on every episode of the Last Thoughts podcast, I have done the work for you and popped any links you might want in the show notes. So if specific products or tools are mentioned, there will be a link so you can track it down easily. And then of course, if you ever want to stalk our guests a little more to see all the wild and wonderful projects they have been a part of, the IMDB link will be there as well. And hey, I wanted to take a moment to thank some of our Last Looks crew. On the last episode, I asked you guys for a bit of encouragement to help keep this ship sailing. One of the favors I asked was if you love the podcast, to share it. And I was so excited to see how many of you shared the show on your social media accounts. It really made my day. I appreciate you and I thank you. Keep it up, guys. Spread the Last Looks love. Anyway, enough of me blabbering. My name is Jamie Lee. This is The Last Looks Podcast, a show where we catch up with makeup artists and hairstylists working in the film and television industries around the world. And today on the show, we catch up with UK-based hair and makeup artist, Kate Benton. On with the show. And now, a word from our sponsor. Parish Effects is a full-service effects lab and prop shop in New Orleans, Louisiana. Parish Effects specializes in fabricating custom props and practical effects that will take your production to the next level. Parish Effects works closely with you to ensure every detail is perfect, and their professional effects artists are available to work on set when needed. Parish Effects is your one-stop effects shop for makeup prosthetics, props, fabrication, and in-person special effects makeup classes. Parish Effects. Elevate your production today. Visit parisheffects.com. And now, our feature presentation. Pictures up. Last looks. Rolling. And action. Welcome to the Last Looks podcast, Kate. Thanks for Jamie Lee. So nice to have you here. Okay, so this is where our story begins. I want you to finish the sentence for me, okay? Mm-hmm. Once upon a time, there was a little girl named Kate, and when mm-hmm. she grew up, she wanted to be... She actually did want to be a makeup artist, and she was very lucky, Kate was, because she lived in a part of London where the BBC had its massive training headquarters and one of the best courses in the world, so... Having left school, she applied and didn't get into the training course because it was hugely oversubscribed. Yeah. But eventually she did get into the training course and was then given a free, and that doesn't happen very, that wouldn't happen nowadays, a free two-year training um, by the BBC, three months in a school, and then the rest of the two years spent in brackets, meaning you were extra, an extra pair of hands on a job. And we covered everything from documentaries to dramas to studio-based news programs. So we got a really good grounding and it was a really, it was a lovely network from the point of view that you had a lot of backup. You had your own postiche department, you had your own prosthetics department and everything was in-house. And it was a strict training environment. They did throw people out if you didn't pass muster or pass exams. Yeah. Uh, Quite hierarchical, but a, a, a huge privilege to have been given that. Honestly, every time I hear about it, it just sounds amazing. It was. Like, what what an opportunity. It just doesn't happen anymore. And, it, and it's so much tougher now for my own children, whom are adults, one of whom works in the industry as a, as a script supervisor. You know, it's a very different 
approach to life when you have to get paid work quite quickly because you basically got to meet the rent. I mean, the, the traineeship at the BBC, was it wasn't paid bundles, but mm. it certainly paid you enough to make your rent. And that's, that's such an honour and a privilege. And really for a working class girl like me from West London to be given an opening into a world where I saw things I would never have seen. It was it was a huge honour and privilege, and I'm, I'm really upset that it's gone for, for people, but it has gone. Yeah. And so this is in your backyard, so very close to where you were living and growing up. Absolutely, literally round the corner. In fact, my mum oh, wow. had worked as a cleaner at the BBC when I was a kid, so I had used to troll down to, to White City with her, so... Here I was back there. I started at Ealing Film Group working as a secretary, trying to get my way away in working for film editing. And then I managed to get on a training course and trained in, in a place called Kensington House, where we had a, a makeup school under Pam Mega, and then put on the job at, at all over, really. And is that like is that how you figured out that that was a job and a line of work to do? Or like how did you as a child kind of work out makeup is what I want to do? Do you know, I don't know. I I always enjoyed art. I always enjoyed history. Um, I kind of think I read somewhere maybe, you know, in those days, which is mm. a long, long time ago, as a girl growing up in London, that I remember being offered nursing, teaching and banking as the right. three options that you could go, in, go into. And there wasn't much else offered. But I think I picked up some sort I think because I was local to the area, mm. the BBC had put a school's thing out saying that they offered all this huge range of, of jobs to people if they wanted to come and work for them. And I think I saw makeup and it, it just absolutely caught my imagination because it ticked so many boxes as to what I want to do. And then working at Ealing Film Studios, which was the creme de la creme for the BBC and that you had your film group there, all your these incredible film programmes were being made there, the beautiful old studios, and seeing makeup artists come in to work on productions and being a little secretary there, I was totally awestruck uh, and wanted to be like them. And I worked really hard. I went off and did a hairdressing because in the UK we do hair and makeup especially in TV. So I went off and did my hairdressing course in the evenings and I did a lot of amateur dramatics and I kind of just genned up and wanted to be ready when the next course came around so that I had a good chance of getting in. Yeah, absolutely. Because it is such a creative line of work, was your family creative? Uh, No, not at all, actually. Um, Well, who knows that they might have been, but I suppose you didn't get the opportunities. I've got one sister who's a nurse Mm. and one's a teacher and parents both, um, no, I mean, not at all, but... Wasn't really encouraged, was it, I suppose? Not, and and also, you know, unless you had a family that had enough money to allow you Mm. to go off to art school. Mm. You know, my, my mother came over from Ireland in the 50s along with a lot of other Irish people and my dad was very firmly driving lorries in West London. So it's not really the kind of, you know, who who knows, they could have been potentially um, Michelangelo's, but I just don't think you've got that chance. And that was the amazing thing about the BBC. It was, it allowed, um, it was a meritocracy. It didn't matter where you came from, you got a chance to move into another world, perhaps. Yeah, absolutely. So how long were you with the BBC? I was with the BBC until 1992, I think. So I graduated up through the ranks from I qualified as an assistant and I did lots of lovely dramas and jobs. And then I became a supervising assistant and then a designer. And I left when my son was a year and a half old. And also, I think the BBC was sort of collapsing a little bit. You know, they wanted freelancers. They didn't really want staff people anymore. You could um, feel that change kind of happening. Yeah, and, with the, yeah. It, the winds of change were whistling very, very, very firmly around me. And I used my redundancy money because I, I thought at the time it didn't really work having children and the hours in our job. So I used my redundancy money to start Pam, oh, wow. which was there in those days called Map. Okay. So yeah, we started. We started back then when my son was young, and it, it was a hard, it was a hard. wasn't quite as easy as I thought it was. <laughs> and but just yeah. do you want to, um, for those who may not have been introduced to Pam yet, do you want to explain what Pam is? Pam is a professional makeup shop in in London that services the UK and Europe really, and we have a we've got a studio and a training area and a large shop, and we hope to try and fulfil everyone's 
professional requirements for mostly SFX. I guess we're not that we don't do that much beauty, although we do do some. We do Mac Pro, mm. but we mostly do lots and lots of bloods and glues. And we are, I think, do you know what? Seriously, because I was so privileged to gain a free education with the BBC, mm. I honestly try and give some of that back. So we do quite a lot of educational stuff, free of charge. Yeah. Um, just sharing. There's a popular thing we do, which is called Tuesday Tip, which is one minute every Tuesday on Instagram, where we just a tip live from set, just explaining to newbies why we use certain things, the latest things we found. Not just the newbies. Late- I love it. Oh, it's, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a community of sharing, Jamie Lee, isn't it? Yeah. It's just kind of good. You know, we found this. I mean, I've been out in Budapest doing Dune and we, we had a lot of bald caps and we were struggling. We were using Opsite tape, which a lot of people will come across, which we use to put on the, on the hair mm. before we... There were partial bald caps, so they weren't going right down to the nape of the neck. And we were struggling to get these bald caps off late at night because we'd been quite heavy-handed with the opsite in order to gain a lot of traction. And, um, you know, as soon as you release it with your solvent, your super solvent, your ProClean, it yeah. would kind of re-stick to the hair as you went along and it mm. became a real gunky mess. It was a bit of a nightmare getting it out. And then... This was the, one of the latest Tuesday tips. We found that hairspray is a really good releaser and it, it means that the opsite doesn't re-stick. So oh, wow. Is it the alcohol and the hairspray? I don't know. It, but yeah, it, wow. The, the amazing thing is it releases it and it oh. doesn't re-stick. So you can spray your, your hairspray into a lid, paint it on, release, and the opsite comes off and doesn't re-stick. So things like that I just think are... Uh, it's so lovely for us all to be able to share with each other as a community. Oh, wow. I'm kind of curious to know if that would work with the, you know, the double-sided tape, if you use it too much alcohol, I, it starts really, doing the same thing. It gets yeah, gummy. the walker tape. I, yeah, do you know yeah. what? I, I think it probably would because it must be the same principle. And mm. I also wonder how did anyone ever think of this? Because the lady who told me, Lily Sumner, mm. um, who's a girl I was working with, I thought, how does this happen that – Makeup artists find these, you know, necessity is the mother of invention, isn't it? Yeah. So how how did it happen one day? Someone just tried a bit of hairspray in desperation? Yeah, like <laughs> why, why would you reach for the hairspray? Maybe they thought the hairspray was something else. <laughs> Absolutely. You just, yeah. you just wonder what prompted. There's another one. We use wig. We use tiny little springs. If we've mm. got stunt men who've got super short hair and we want to um, stick a, a wig in. And I kind of wonder how did that ever happen that yeah. some makeup artists found, you know, their pen broke and they found this little spring and they thought, oh, my God, I'm going to put this in the back of the stump man's head and it's going to work. It's just brilliant. It is quite curious. It would be yeah. fun to know the origin of, of a lot of things that we do and why and all that type of why? stuff. Is, yeah. And let's share them. Let's be generous with each other, you know, so that we can all we can all make use of them. Yeah. Um, I, I will say I, I think I was um, – <laughs> I was trolling your page a little bit because I kept saying, use captions with the videos. Oh, <laughs> and you know what? You're, I'm so, so glad you've said that. We're going to start doing that. Yeah, I saw, I think one of the last ones had the captions and I was like, yes, because it's so often that we yeah. have our phones on silent, whether I'm just back at the trailer or wherever, and I'll see your videos pop up and I'll just be like, I want to know what she's saying. <laughs> I'm so, you know what, it's so obvious and I felt so dumb when somebody said it to me because I thought, of course, most of us are on set all day. We can't have the sound going. Of course we need captions. No, well, you just don't think about it at the time, do you? No. It's just, yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> so you start the shop and is that, did you pretty much, were you away from set at that point or were you trying to kind of do a bit of both? or Because I imagine it's pretty time-consuming kind of starting yeah. to build something like that yeah and you know what we were completely broke all the time the shop was um very poor and I couldn't afford a wage I had two children by then and it was a real labor of love mm. and very nearly closed down many times mm. um but we we managed to gain some ground and I think when I think when my daughter my, was about four, I started dabbling, just going back out to do studio programs and days just to build up some money, really. Um, the shop was a bit stronger. We'd managed to get some pay, paid people in. 
my husband was a cameraman, which meant that we were both freelance, so we could sort of split childcare. Did you guys meet at the BBC? We did meet at the BBC. We met in Jersey on um, a a BBC drama called Bergerac, which is very much of its time, but but was great fun to work on. So, yes, indeed, we did meet at the BBC. So by then we'd got people in to work in the shop. And Mm -hmm. so I started going back to work and I didn't really, I had a rule to myself, which was Mm -hmm. no matter how wonderful the job you're offered, because I was assisting still those days, not designing. Yeah. I wouldn't go away away from home for longer than three, maximum four weeks. Um, yeah. Because just for me, it doesn't work. And that's not to say it doesn't, it does work for lots of people because I'm sure it does, but for me, it didn't. And there were some hilarious moments where I was offered assisting on the beach out in Thailand and... I can still hear them laughing when I said, no, actually, I'm working on Grange Hill in London, which was a really cheap kids program in in London because the hours worked for me. Because, of course, you've got this amazing job being offered to you out Mm. in Thailand, amazing opportunity, but I couldn't do it. I know, but it's just like setting these boundaries is so important, especially when you have a family. Like it's, you just have to, otherwise the work just becomes everything. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's it's a job that sucks you in, isn't it? I mean, Mm. it's, it's hard. And on the other side, I have spoken to both my children now and they talk about how much they enjoyed the fact that both Jim and I were in the industry and they got the chance to go on set and they, you know, they enjoyed having dad at home sometimes for months mm. if I was away, mm. you know, because if, if Jim wasn't working, I could go away because dad was there. You know, it, we, we very much shared childcare and I think that's magical if you can do it because it gives, you know, male and female um, influence on the children. So they kind of say it was really good fun as well and they're glad I did it. Yeah, that's awesome. It almost makes me think I'm wondering which one of you was the the, <laughs> the easier going of the parents. Yeah. <laughs> There's always one. There's always one, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. I love it. So I guess I would love to kind of talk about some of the other projects that you've done and maybe what a couple of favorites have been yeah i mean i've done uh, assisting wise i've done um features uh, i used to assist a makeup designer called graham johnston quite a lot so i did some lovely jobs um i just met graham oh i love mr graham <laughs> yeah, i just worked with him in um prague he's amazing yeah well, he's such a nice man um, yeah so we did love actually and uh johnny english just some really really good fun lovely civilized jobs they were great um children of men which is which is i uh, was a, a, an awesome film i still think it's one of the best and then for myself i moved very much into comedy um designing which i absolutely am incredibly proud of doing comedy shows because i think if you can do comedy you can mm. do anything and and at the bbc in the old days if a designer was coming up they would always put them on comedy first because you have to move bloody fast in comedy. You have to be able to change a wig in literally minutes and make it work. And I did a, a program called Dead Ringers for five years, which was a big prosthetic wig show. And we would do bald caps live, you know, at, at the start of the show. We'd do them during the supper break, ready to go. And it's such a great way to get your confidence and speeds up and be able to know that you can cheat things because our job is largely about cheating, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and so I did comedy probably for about 10, 10 years and loved every minute of it. It's so fast and so creative. And so often the joke is visual. So often the joke is about the makeup. Yeah, you know? yeah. So you and kind of have ringers. to hit those marks. Yeah, and 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 so for me, I much prefer jobs where the makeup is a crucial part of the story, as opposed to uh, just a straight makeup job. You know, I mean, I, I just love, I love, I love the, I love dirt, I love blood, I love prosthetics, I love wigs, I love the, I love that side of it. Absolutely. So no cop drama for you at the moment i've certainly done them i'm not i'm, listen, I'm never going to turn any turn anything down it's just i prefer yeah. to be knee deep in mud um out in the wind and the rain doing vikings in budapest is is kind of what i really love isn't it funny it is uh, there's so many of us like that and it's a good thing because otherwise there'd be nobody doing our job absolutely 
Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I was like, what is it about that, about those, those extreme challenges of just loving it? And if it's not happening, you get bored very quickly. <laughs> yeah, you get bored very quickly. And, and also you push yourself. I mean, doing fortitude in Iceland up on the tundra where we had prosthetics on, on eyes where you could hardly take your gloves off. It was so so cold to put the blood on but you, you kind of do it and you work ways around it you 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 find ways of making it work and i i think that's what makes it so creative isn't it the fact that you it's always changing and it's always different and there's new techniques all the time isn't there yeah i mean it's a constant absolute constant uh, working in those kind of temperatures those cold temperatures how, how did you keep all your makeup at kind of workable temperatures you know what? It was never a problem. It was something I thought might be a problem. I yeah. thought glues and things would go funny. I mean, I, I think it, it was never, ever a problem with things freezing that we couldn't use. Okay. I had more problems when I was um, I was doing the stunt bus on Clash of the Titans and we were out in Tenerife and we were very high up above the clouds altitude wise because we were at the top of Mount Tady and we found then a lot of pro bondos and things would bubble and go funny and I think it was to do with our altitude but no I, I didn't have any problems that I can recall in in Iceland other than the, just the being able to physically take your gloves off long enough to put blood on you know but other than and, and actually keeping your spirits up just in that extreme cold is is tough but there is there, there is a makeup artist that i've come across through the shop i, I don't know her but i i saw a, a, a film that she did and i just thought it was the most beautiful makeup um so i'd like to give a shout out to her because i think if there's any makeup artists out there who want to see an incredible incredibly beautiful um story and 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 it was up for an Oscar, but it never got anywhere. I think oh. because it wasn't a big budget film. Right. But the, the film was called The Twelfth Man, and it was all set in Norway in, in icy, cold conditions. Mm. And this lady's called Asta. Asta Hashofforditor, I think mm. she's called. Well, it's an Icelandic name or a... But, but the, way she, the way she did the, the... It's about a man, basically, in the Second World War who's being chased by the Nazis and is escaping through snow and ice. And the conditions were brutal. But what she, the makeup she did um, is the most believable I think I've ever seen in my life. And I, I think when, when I see her work, and I've seen quite a lot of her work now, I'm, I'm always going on about her on, on the PAM website because I think <laughs> she's a genius. It's just like it's not flash prosthetics a lot of the time, although she does do those. Yeah. It's just beautiful painting. Mm-hmm. beautiful painting and and really subtle and clever and and well worth a look so when when you're watching something like that the film that you mentioned you can just really feel the oh, elements yeah. through what she's what yeah, she's created she, yeah the, the looks that she created were you know they were just they were real they were really real it didn't look like makeup and i think it's always that thing that things go under the radar if mm. if the makeup's so good i mean you know, Oscars, BAFTAs, they uh, they always go for periods or prosthetics, don't they? Which is, I guess, it's the most obvious and, and why not? But you do see some beautiful makeups that are not as obvious because people don't know their makeup. Yeah. So, I mean, the job's been done beautifully because it's yeah. just so subtle. You don't even yeah. you believe yeah. it immediately and think it's just part of the situation. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's... um. I do wonder how uh, I understand how people in our line of work of being hair and makeup people may see that and be able to appreciate it. But then when, when it goes out to the wider voting mm-hmm. group, I'm not quite sure if it yeah must get lost if it's not it, obvious. It, yeah, it al- it always gets it always gets lost. I think it's just the nature of of people going for the for the for the more obvious ones, and and you know I just. It's not that it annoys me. It doesn't annoy me. I just think it's the way it is. And it's it's spotting the really clever makeups, I think, is is sometimes not about the most obvious ones. Yeah, absolutely. Now, going back, and I bet you've already shared something, but I would love to know, we were talking about just things always changing and we're always learning stuff. What's something else that you've learned recently, apart from the getting the uh, opsite tape off? 
<laughs> Getting the opposite. Well, <laughs> now, actually, this 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 may be something that you've got in the states that we haven't got here yet, but I've never seen it. Which is that we, when we use bald cups, we tend to use vinyl bald cups, so they're not latex, they're not plastic, but they're vinyl. Yeah. Um, and so you could buy pre-coloured vinyl bald cups, which are in a flesh tone. Mm. But um, the lady who runs Pam, a lady called Anne Bick, who's not a makeup artist by training, but she's very, very clever. Mm. She kind of said to me, you know, we get a lot of people coming into the shop looking for vinyl bald cups that might be pre-coloured for darker skin tones. Mm. Um, and she said, you know, what's the chances of that, that you know, they could make those? So... Anyway, it's cut a long, story, long, boring story short. <laughs> we came up with the idea of colouring a vinyl bald cap with a blood tone in the centre region so that basically, because vinyl bald caps are super thin and when you put them on, you tend to get hair colour coming through and hair texture. Yeah. Which is why we, we use soap underneath on the hair or, or got to be or something like that. And crepe hair, just to get away from that, the lines of the hair. So so we got them to make a, a vinyl bald cap with a kind of D32 colour in the middle, trying to be as much as a, a generic bald cap around the hairline. And we tried it. Um, we, we got a prototype from them and we tried it bravely, Lily and I, in front of a bunch <laughs> of students. And it was a thing of beauty. So we're really, we're going to bring this bald cap out um, and it's going to be called the really useful bald cap because it was so that. much quicker to colour because you had your blood tone in Already that in it. And we just flicked on with some rice paper and some lovely uh, creamy colours and it was done, job done. And our next thing is to try it on darker skin tones. But to me, I don't see why it wouldn't work because it's just blood tone colour. Mm-hmm. You've got that base there already. Of You've got the base there and yeah. it's just a speed, you know, because we're always fighting time, aren't we? Totally. Oh, my God. That's awesome. Yeah, it was, it was, it was really, so that's my latest. That was the other week. <laughs> so we'll get to at some point, see that on, on your Tuesday tips, right? You will be. And I just love, what was the woman's name who runs the store? Anne Vic. Anne Vic. That Anne yeah. Vic just has it, you know, naturally in her to be really taking note of what people are wanting and what yeah. people are after to kind of start that conversation. That's awesome. And, and yeah, and listening to makeup artists yeah. coming in and going, oh, you know, I have this problem, you know, what, what do you think, mm-hmm. what do you think would, would would be good for that. That's awesome. And so your years of experience, and I just love the way that your brain works, Kate. Um, <laughs> always <laughs> looking for something new and something different and trying to solve problems. Um, what advice would you give to artists kind of wanting to break into this line of work and just being that it is so different now than it was when you were coming up? I mean, I get asked this question a lot, Jamie Lee, and it, mm. it, this probably only applies it to the UK, but I spent a lot of time probably about five years ago, and I asked as many makeup designers as I could what three qualities they were looking for. They were looking for a trainee. Mm-hmm. What would be the three things that they wanted more than anything? And th- this is – two of the answers were completely practical, um, yeah. and and I think it, sometimes students don't appreciate this. And the first answer was um, that thing that you're a, an amazing person, you're a team player, you're on time, you're punctual, you're nice. You've got all those lovely attributes um, that are needed to make you part of the makeup team. So that, that was the first requirement. That's a general big one of just being a really nice person all around and good at your job and, yeah. you know, just laughing. But the other two, I think, take them a little bit by surprise and and the second one that they, they they thought was incredibly useful was driving because it becomes such a pain in the ass for a makeup designer to have a trainee in London. You've got to get somewhere at three o'clock in the morning and you have to organise transport for them or at least help them because you, you sort of worry for them getting mm. night buses or whatever. Yeah, and yeah. the third one was hairdressing. That You know, in the UK, it is unless you're going into just prosthetics or uh, one of the specialised things, it's actually very important to have a fair bit of hair uh, and a decent a confidence with hair. So I do try and get that message out to people that as well as you generally being good at your job, there are practical things that, that will make you more attractive to getting into the industry. That's interesting. So the driving thing, is that just, I assume if they've grown up in the middle of London, they've just, they haven't, they, the public transport's so great that they just haven't needed to, to drive. Yeah, I, I think it might be different in the UK is that not every, I think in the States, almost every, seems to me everyone drive, 
drives as a matter of course from the age of 16. Is that true? Or? Yeah, I think so. Unless you were maybe in the middle of Manhattan and you didn't need to drive anywhere. It's the same type of thing. I think if there's um, a good public transport system, then you can rely on that for so much longer than having to get a car. If you're in LA, then you definitely need to be able to drive. Yeah. And I think yeah. there's also that size thing, isn't there? It's such a vast country that you'd need a car to get around. It's not like that in the UK. Driving mm. is much more of something that you might possibly do, but you probably wouldn't do it until you're a bit older. It's quite expensive to learn. And we do have a relatively good transport system in London. However, we don't work in London all the time. We sometimes work uh, in Brighton at four o'clock in the morning. So you've got to get there from London or, you know, and there's also that thing that you would often ask your trainee to go out and get you stuff while you're mm. filming. Like, oh my God, we've run out of glue. Let's move top to Pam. Or yeah. and then maybe the transport haven't got a driver that's free. It's just, it's an, it's one less thing to worry about your trainee drive. So I think it's probably more of a UK thing because not all students by any mean will have got their driving license in the UK. It's actually quite a hard thing to get and, and relatively expensive. And, you know, if you're already paying a lot of money for your course mm. and, uh, you know, it's I know it's not something that everybody wants to hear, but it is super important and, and ditto hair. Yeah, the hair thing's the same in New Zealand and Australia. It's exactly. Definitely, yeah. yeah. And I think because of that, I came up working with makeup artists who had not had formal hair training, but by God, they could do some hair. Like, yeah. Because they, they, they knew that they needed to work that extra bit harder to yeah. be able to tackle the whole hair side of things. And, I mean, I've worked with makeup artists in New Zealand and Australia that can do better hair than hairstylists in LA. So that it's just that's because they know they need to up yeah. that game to be able to be it's just more you're employable. Yeah. I think I think you're 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 spot on there. And I think sometimes actually well, I don't want to get into trouble by saying this, but sometimes it's actually better to have a someone who's learned through the makeup world to do hair than than through the hairdressing salon because they're a bit looser with hair, so they can make it sometimes hairdressers can do things too perfectly. Mm -hmm. um and i think sometimes it's better because hair is sort of sculptural isn't it sometimes it's 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 nice having the option of it you've gone about it in a slightly um unconventional way but it looks more real mm -hmm. but yeah, yeah i get your point it's nice having that mix i mean the jamie lee i work with is a salon trained hairdresser so it's great having her expertise with color and all of those things um and I, we try and staff our department so much that we've got someone who's you know the, the best colorist then someone who's really prosthetics are what you know give them their kind of that's what really floats their boat so we we try and cover a lot of bases yeah absolutely do you feel like if you're kind of wanting to specialize in the prosthetic side of things I mean having a, a knowledge of hair is still good right because I mean you've got to still I have a theory though that we have a lot of bald aliens because most prosthetics people <laughs> don't don't know what to do about hair so I think <laughs> I think that's why there's so many bald aliens because um, they just don't know about hair. Um, yeah. <laughs> they're just like, mm, don't want to deal with that. Let's design yeah. it this way. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Awesome. Yeah, but it's just like it, it makes such a difference. I mean, if whether they're punching hair or applying yeah. hair or laying hair, it's just yeah. like just understanding the hair a little uh, bit better is going to help, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And, it, and in fact, the guy that makes prosthetics for me is actually a hairdresser as well, a trained hairdresser, weirdly enough. So wow. Laurie can, you know, when 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 he, he made a jaw uh, for Stephen Graham as, um, as, as, as Marley in Christmas Carol, and just that his hair punching was so good because – he understood direction of hair, it, mm. it just everything. It just was an added bonus to his skills. That's awesome. And what do you, I mean, there's many things I think that we find rewarding in this line of work because, honestly, I don't think we'd punish ourselves with the hours if we didn't. <laughs> but um, <laughs> what do you find most rewarding about this line of work? God, I love it all, really. Even the bad bits I kind of love. I mean, <laughs> I mean... I, I love, you know, what I love getting close to actors, and I, I kind of I'm old enough now that I can sort of mother them, and and it, I just I'm really protective of my actors and really supportive, and I try and make things work. I love that side of it. I love the create, you know, on the rare occasions where you can go, I love what I did there, and it's very rare, but you can go, how 
and I love the problem solving. I love working with a close team. And, you know, we, we should be in Budapest for eight months at the moment, except our, our job got postponed. But that feeling of, of getting really close to people outside your family and, you know, having the how lucky are we to be able to travel to see places that you'd never see. Yeah. Um, Even places in your backyard that it's just like 100%. you wouldn't normally be let into and you're just like, oh, oh God. Wow. Like this it's building's amazing or this, you know. Yeah, I mean, even houses that you film in London, there's nothing nicer than going into a house and looking around and, oh, right, yeah. I mean, I love it. I think it's, I think we're so privileged to be, to be able to do that. You do need to consciously remind yourself of when you walk into a location or go somewhere that, hey, not everybody gets to do this cool stuff and see yeah. this amazing stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Just take yeah. it in for a moment. I'm going to back up a little bit on what you kind of skimmed over for a second there and saying that it's not very often that you look at your work and think, wow, that's awesome. Yeah, no, I, I think by nature, and I'm not fishing for compliments here at all. No, no, nature, it's just curious because I feel like I, I think a lot of us tend to be like that and it's yeah. quite curious. Yeah, I think you just look at the things you wished you'd done differently yeah. or don't like. You're actually looking, it's like looking for a photograph of yourself and you go straight to the part of your body that you don't like to, to look at that. I, you, you don't. You watch through covered hands, don't you, just to go, oh, why didn't I set that oh. with differently or why didn't I do that or, you yeah. know, only I'd done that. So I think that's so just, true. yeah, that's just the nature of it. And, and, and it's like the little voices that pop up in your head when you're having a hard time in makeup, which is you can't do this job, you're useless, nobody likes you. You know, it's those little voices telling you how terrible you are. Mm. But I think it's just part of, of what you have to grapple with and just, you know, it's what makes us creative people, I guess, isn't it? Yeah. It's funny because it's not like you're necessarily looking at the work going, oh, my God, that's terrible. You're just mm. looking at it going, I could have done that. Yeah. Differently, and that may have, yeah, I may be happier with it if I'd or if I'd only had the time to do this, or oh god, I remember that day it was so rushed and blah blah blah, blah. yeah, or um. yeah, or, <laughs> or the actor was late, or you know, there's always there's always a hundred reasons, and I think you can, I don't know if you've ever had this, Jamie Lee, where you just get, um we call it wig blind. So say if you're just doing, when I did Alexander Draymond for the, for the last kingdom. So you've got one wig on one actor for six months at a time through mm. lots of things. And you just get a bit wig blind. You get wig obsessed. So you, that's all you look at. And and, <laughs> and, it, and then when you go to watch it, that's all you're looking at. Yeah, well. That's all you're looking at. You, go, you find that you're actually just, he said, sometimes you're talking to me. You're not looking at me. I know what you're looking at. <laughs> and you can't, you can't help yourself. And in fact, Many years ago, I had a friend who's working on a period drama. Um, I love this story. And it was a very sort of small, intimate scene. And her actress was sitting there around a fire and they were all in the scene. They were, they were going for a take and they were all talking. And she was obsessed about her ringlets on the front of this actor's head. And mm. like in a trance, in the middle of the take. Oh, my God. <laughs> she got up. And she leaned in and she just corrected a little tiny bit of ringlet back out of the actor's face That's and then sat down again and was <laughs> totally unaware <laughs> until someone kind of went, what the hell are you doing? But she'd done that. Um, and I, I totally feel that because I, I know just how obsessed we can get with little things. I mean, I, yeah, I've been known to be standing at the monitor and like making a movement of like, just move that out of here. Just, just, yeah, just, wipe just, it. just or, or just quickly pull yeah. it in front of the shoulder. Just, just, what do you, yeah. you know, you're just <laughs> yeah. like telepathically trying. Yeah. To. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I agree. And actually, you know what, when, when, when it's particularly true with prosthetics I found on Dead Ringers, we did a lot of noses that had to go on. And actually, mm. I think making little noses work, skin to look like real skin, oh, is a yeah. real, much harder than doing a big alien makeup, I think, because yeah. you've got edges all around. Anyway, so I found that if the actor's in the chair and you're in the makeup room, you've got the lights on and you're putting a nose on, it's very easy to get obsessed about a little thing and forget that actually you're doing a whole face. So I would find I'd put the nose on usually, 
then I would start the wig or start something else. And then everything warms up and it all starts to work a bit more. And then I would come back to colouring it all in because otherwise I could get too obsessed with one mm. little problem and devote all my call time to that one little problem, which is not, you know, it's a, it's a bigger picture, isn't it? You're standing down looking at an edge as opposed to what it's going to look like on the screen. Yeah, you do get tunnel vision and you do yeah. need to step back. Like I, yeah. I find that the stepping back has something that I've definitely learned to do when I'm having trouble with something. Yes. If something's just not, you know, I'm like, oh, what is going on? I normally find that I'm so narrowed in on that one yes. thing that I'm just like, hang on a minute, take like literally take a few steps back. Yes. <laughs> look at the whole thing and then be like, oh, fuck. That's what yes. it is. And then it's perspective, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, like you're you're absolutely right. And in fact, in the old, old days, that that would be when I would go outside for a cigarette. Mm, yeah. Because <laughs> you know, you go, whoa, actually take your eye off it for a minute. But nowadays I'd send them off to costume because they don't smoke. I'd say, just go get your costume on and then come back and we'll have another look at it or something. Because yeah. taking your eye away from it, it refreshes it you, it refreshes them. Everything mm -hmm. just kind of pulls together a little bit more, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's very helpful. But when you're in it, it's very difficult to it's, snap yourself out of it to think, oh, I just need a minute to... Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> That's because we care. Yeah. Oh, my God, I still can't. That Someone putting their hand in the middle of a take to... I know. <laughs> amazing actually mortifying yeah and, and totally unaware that she'd done it could just, yeah. just in a trance <laughs> that's awesome i hope they use that tag no. yeah <laughs> i think everyone forgave her i think everyone forgave her because it was like it was a sign that she um you know that that she cared so much yeah it's obviously um, not intentional because that would be no. insane yeah be madness but you know, you know, um, Jamie Lee. I don't know if you find, but I find also that you know this. There were many times when I was younger, when you were say you were doing a crowd day, and there's hundreds of extras, there's hundreds of makeup, there's hundreds of of costume, and mm. that that kind of overchecking thing that that can go on, where everybody goes in to check people that aren't really in shot, and and anyway, they've been checked about fifteen times already, and you're desperately looking for someone that you can do something to so that you don't look completely worthless. Mm. I think I think as a profession, I think we have to be a bit smarter. And I I would always say to people, don't go in unless you are sure that you need to go in. Mm -hmm. Because I think you then earn the respect of the other departments of them giving you time because they know that you only go in when you need it. And I think when you're starting out, there's such a huge danger that you're gonna you're gonna go in because your colleague next to you went in, mm. um, and because the designer's there looking, and you just want to impress. And I think, you know, we are we are we should understand about the, the lens and the size and the the lighting and what the shot is, and you know, and AD should give us more time, but we should only check when we need to check. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I I'm also like that about if you don't need to be on set, then yeah, then don't be. <laughs> don't don't like, be on just set. go find something else to yeah. do because if you don't yeah. need to be there, you just you know they turn around and they're like, why are there 500 hair and makeup people yeah. here? <laughs> and, and, and and it looks awful, doesn't it? Because it's like and an actor said to me. He said, you know, when on those days, it's like a swarm of mosquitoes coming towards you. Yeah. Um, because he said, you know, everybody's racing and everybody's kind of getting in each other's way. And it, it's a horrible feeling. And I, um, yeah, I think it's something, hopefully it's getting better. Hopefully. I think maybe, you know, just saying it out loud. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and what do you find the most challenging about, I mean, obviously you like challenges, but maybe one of the challenges that you don't enjoy so much what what do you find most challenging about this line of work I think I find it very challenging the I guess I'd call it the politics of it that sometimes it's changed slightly in that there are more people with opinions on more people with an opinion on what should be done looks wise with an actor and I think it's particularly true on a modern day show um mm -hmm. I think it's particularly true for costume as well. Like, I think if you're doing a period drama or you're doing prosthetics, less people will 
comment on it because they know less about it. So they don't really know what people look like in Viking times in the 40s. They might have an opinion that they want the actors to look more sexy or, you know, less flamboyant or whatever. But I think on modern day dramas, everybody but everybody will have an opinion um, and it can come back. It can become quite exhausting trying to do uh, something for the that the director wants, that also the execs like, that also the studio like. You know, you can be you can be caught in the middle of a of a big battle through no fault of your own because there's so many people that have to sign off a look, and they're not speaking with the same voice. Yeah, and so it's it's actually very hard to play that game because every, you know, and you've got the poor actor there, you've got the director, you've got the exec producers, you've got the producers, the studio. They've all got different opinions as to what looks right for this modern day um hairstyle because they've all got different tastes um yeah, and so it becomes quite exhausting having that many people having a say but I, so I, I i struggle with that one a little bit sometimes yeah that's understandable and it can you just say oh my god this is going around in circles what? yeah yeah <laughs> and someone just please tell me what i'm doing <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because because honestly, originally it would have just probably been the director, maybe the producer, but yeah. on the whole, it would just be the director and the actor kind mm. of going, yeah, I like that, that works. Yeah, that's interesting. And yeah, very true. I feel like I, I do hear about that happening possibly a bit more with, yeah, the contemporary, but also television. Yeah, I think it's probably, it's high-end television because I think there's mm. there's so many hurdles to to jump through to get to you know to get a final sign off so yeah it's probably more more specific to that you know the big studio uh, series there is a fair bit of that yeah yeah and with all the characters and stuff that you have done do you have a favorite do you have a favorite look kind of style that you've created that you look back on and you're like I guess maybe I'd say I mean I just done Spy Among Friends with Damien Lewis and Guy Pierce, which was lovely because it was period. Mm-hmm. But I, I think I did Alexander Draymond as a Viking in the Last Kingdom for five no, for three, four years. Mm-hmm. Um and I just love the evolution of his character and of how the amount I learned about Vikings and the look and Yeah, yeah. I think that's probably the dearest to my heart at the moment because um just because it was such good fun. He's such a lovely man. And, you know, it was creative process that I really enjoyed. I think, too, going on that journey of having, like, a timeline and an evolution of a character and stuff as well, you're just a bit more invested in it too, aren't you? It's just... Absolutely. And we, Alexander, really wanted to have um, shaven sides mm-hmm. um, and a, a wig on top. And we, we couldn't persuade enough people to go for that until... And so one day we did. We he had a day off, and we did a we did a bald cap on him and put the wig on top. And he dressed up, and he went down on set. And the producers were there, and they they really loved it. They really liked the look. So it kind of we were like, yes, finally, you know, we, we convinced <laughs> them that this, you know, for the next season maybe he'd be able to shave his sides and and we could put the wig on top. So so it was really I, I felt really good when we did it. Yeah, it's it's funny how sometimes it's just the, the imagination just isn't there with some yeah. people that they need yeah. to really see it. They need to see it, absolutely. Yeah. This is a, I guess, I don't know if this is a super negative question to ask, but we do we do make mistakes. So I'm just wondering what you look back on as like one of your mistakes in your career that you're like, oh, God, I'm still kicking myself about that. Or, oh, God, a lot. <laughs> That's almost a daily thing. Um, I've done some corkers in my time, let me tell you. I've stuck an ear on upside down, and that's not an easy thing to do. <laughs> I'm sure you're not the only person who's done that. Do you know what? It looks all right. It was only – it's only got – how I got it to work, I don't know. But, yeah, you're upside down. Um, uh, what have I done? I've done some terrible things, I think. I think I allowed many years ago, and I allowed a trainee to uh, 
was before we put we had opticians on set and I allowed a trainee to persuade me that she'd got the right solution for a, an actor to use their contact lens solution and actually it was a cleaning solution uh, oh. and I should have checked this back in the eight in the 90s eight, 90s maybe um, oh. and so it ended up with the actor who was due to go on set and had full makeup and wigs on putting some lenses in and basically putting very very strong cleaning material into their eye um, oh. which meant that you know a, I had to get the lens out straight away because I knew what happened. Yeah. Uh, and B, she was absolutely furious. And C, she could have sued me. Yeah. And, and I should have checked that. And I, that was a real learning curve for me when it involved, A, nowadays you'd have an optician anyway. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, we are dealing with serious stuff sometimes. You know, mm. we are dealing with, you know, people can get injured and hurt. Um, I think you've always got to check everything. And I'm... Uh, always when whenever I'm talking to trainees or students I say please please join your union and there's a good reason for you to be in that union um and it will not only educate you but it will also provide you with some kind of protection should anything happen because you have legal protection so yeah that's you know I think really important absolutely and I what kind of touched on this just with what kind of makes trainees and things more hireable but just in your day-to-day workings with makeup artists and hairstyling and stuff are there certain techniques or kind of skills within what they're doing that are more practical so within the art that you think some artists maybe need to develop more that you see a lack of people knowing how to do you mean technical skills yeah yeah, I think the only thing I, I see people doing is not so much a technical skill, it's more a, a reading the room skill or, mm. or picking up the vibe skill um, mm. that you either, I'm afraid, have or you don't. And it's it's just reading, you know, if your actor's feeling a bit nervous, it's reading that vibe. If, you know, if if the makeup's not going well, it's picking up the vibe from the person to two doors down, two stations down that they need help. It's, mm. I think it's just an awareness thing that I think people aren't always aware, aren't always in tune with that. They haven't picked up the, it's such a fine tuned place, isn't it? A makeup van. It's yeah. so, it's so temperamental. It's so, it's such a fine, fine line of the ambience being right for the actors, you know, having the right music on, having the coffee on, having everybody ready to go, know what they're doing and, and picking up when there's a problem. And that, that whole sort of lovely atmosphere can be really easily ruined by an inappropriateness coming from a trainee who perhaps, you know, I've, I've had trainees come and just sort of stand looking at you while you're doing the makeup and, you know, not asking permission or not clearing it with the actor you know, it's just it's just, just awkwardly standing there staring. <laughs> yeah, and it just makes everybody feel a little bit kind of like, Hello? what's going on? You know, yeah. What were you I doing? You? <laughs> no way. Um, so that's not a technical skill so much as something of an awareness of of your colleagues and your actors. Because let's be honest, they're they're the people going out uh, in the firing line, and they they often need a bit of TLC or support before they go out. Yeah, that makes total sense. And I feel like you might have worked on almost every type of project, but is there something you haven't done that you would like to, whether it's a genre or a... Do you know what? I, I, I can't think of anything off the top of my... I'm sure there is. <laughs> I'm sure there's there's something that I would have missed out on, but I can't think of anything that I'm yearning to do. Um, I just love working and, um, yeah. It's, More comedies. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually haven't done comedy now for a long time. But oh, really? It, oh, yeah. No, I, 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 do, I do drama now and, and I love doing drama, but I just know that that comedy training gave me a lot of um, speed and awareness that things can be – you can cheat things so much and you had to in comedy because you didn't have any money. Yeah. The troubleshooting side of it is um, – Troubleshooting, yeah. yeah. We, Good. We had, um, for instance, we had a, a nose that we always used for Maggie Thatcher, Margaret Thatcher, who was our prime minister. Mm. Um, um, but it also worked really well for Meryl Streep. And <laughs> it was just that kind of thing. When, you, when you're on a high turnover show where you've got to do looks, you know, maybe 15, 20 looks every week, um, it's just knowing that kind of we, – we knew all our wigs, all of my wigs all had names, um, and we would know that Barry – 
one of our wigs would work really well for all sorts of people. So it's just it's just that kind of speed essence thing that you get when you work in a, a quick turnover show. But yeah, now that you work in drama, it's you have more maybe you have a bit more time, but mm. you still, you know, with late with late scripts and with late casting, you mm. have to know what you can do to cheat. Um yeah. and, and and I'm really glad for the training I got at the BBC and in comedy. And I looked. I hope through Pam that we're passing some of that back out to to the people starting out. Yeah, it's so good to hear that you are sharing knowledge because I, I don't quite understand the train of thought of not wanting to share. It um, is there, though, Jamie Lee. It is it? no, it's it is. I, it is there, and I haven't, I haven't, I think I've been lucky enough myself to work under people that are more sharing than not, absolutely. But I have spoken to multiple people who have said that they've, you know, literally been working under designers and heads of departments and that really don't want to help them or show them how to do anything. They expect them to be able to, you know, bring it, but then won't actually show them them at all or give them any clues on how to get there and I don't know I don't know if it's just a (laughs) that fear of that if I teach you you're going to steal my job I don't I just don't even understand the mindset I don't know where it comes from it's just like you want your team to do the best work that they possibly can because I mean that's going to make you look good so (laughs) why wouldn't you want to help everybody and yeah yeah I just I know that there's not always a lot of time to be like to put aside to actually teach and show someone something that is extensive but it's just trying wherever you can to give guidance and help I just yeah and also a tra- I mean it's a trainee is a trainee I mean I think it's an apprentice uh, job really you know you're, you're learning on the job and and you're I think you're obligated to try and and show them the things as you go along the whole team is sort of obligated to kind of say you know there's many ways that people do a hair wrap before a wig mm. and not to say my way is the only way or the correct way but it's mm. a way that mm. I find the most useful and it's really trainees need to know that there's many different ways of doing it and they need to be shown that the, you know they're not just there to get the coffees and run around after you they actually are sort of learning and to keep our industry healthy we have to teach you know when you leave a makeup school yes you've done a, a course you don't know that much of actual practical on hands no. um, job and that's that when they come out to us I, I take great delight and we all do in in training them and, I, and I've watched people that I've worked with who are now designers and and you're so proud of them because you've watched them rise up through the ranks and they've, you know, you've been part of their progress maybe or a little part of their progress or helped them in a little way. So I think it's, we are, we, we should do it and we've got to do it and it's a pleasure to do it. Yeah. I think that there might be uh, just you actually using the terminology and having that system in place of having trainees and juniors and we don't have that in the States. So maybe, it's well, do you not? No, it's insane. But um, if I can be so bold to say, but um, yeah, so that I guess just not having a trainee as such, there is that that position does not exist. Wow. Or I guess people have been able to skim over training or teaching anybody because they don't feel that they are obligated wow. to do that at all because it doesn't so- exist. So do people come straight out of a college and go in to be a makeup artist or how does it work? They do. It uh, So it's pretty much comes down to union or non-union. Right. And there seems to be, I mean, it's uh, there's a, you know, there's like a 10-foot wall in between the two. It's right. like if you're non-union, then you tend to be working on lower budget things definitely um Mm -hmm. where you may be the only makeup person or hairstylist on that job so you're not you don't have the guidance of working under somebody to learn from them at those early stages of your career so Uh you're I assume some people swim some people probably sink and 
some people would come up with some pretty interesting habits possibly because they're kind of figuring it out as they go along, but sometimes by themselves. So if they don't kind of make an effort, I suppose, to get into some type of community to maybe talk to other people or people who are higher up the chain that have been doing it longer than they have, then, you know, by the time they get their days and get into the union and they've department headed, you know, 10 low budget indie films, they probably feel like they know everything, mm-hmm. um, but haven't actually really worked under somebody who's been doing it for 30 odd years. Right. Yeah. It's, 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 it's almost, there's a, I just feel like there's a massive gap yeah. In it. Yeah. And then once you're in the union, it is, I guess, assumed that you know what you're doing. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, that then there's, you can, could, if you were lucky enough or unlucky enough in some cases, I suppose, be thrown into a head of department role on something that's way too big and you've got people working under you, don't know how to manage people, you don't know how to work in a team, mm-hmm. um, but you seem to be running running the show so it's yeah as an outsider coming in I feel like it's broken (laughs) yeah and I'll probably get you know stones throw at me next time I'm out in town but um it just uh, yeah because I did come up in in more of a you know I started as a as a trainee on a tv show and did more training and then um was an assistant and you know all that type of stuff to work myself up to being a hair and makeup artist Mm -hmm. um and was lucky enough to have you know that that wall wasn't in between me Mm -hmm. and incredible designers that were coming in that I could Mm -hmm. learn from and supervisors Mm -hmm. that had all that experience. But Mm -hmm. if I was not in the union, if the union existed like that, then I wouldn't have been able to get anywhere near those people and Mm. everything from them. So yeah, it's quite interesting. And it's, I do notice the, the difference. Yeah, I'm. I, I can. I can hear that you're doing your. I mean, as is a bit unregulated, but on the whole, there is a. And definitely in films, there's a very much a trainee, a junior. Mm. You know, there's a. In, you've got to be being a trainee for a couple of years before you're even considered for a junior, mm. um, and then onwards and upwards. So, I quite like it because I think it gives you a good grounding and a good exposure to many different makeup artists and their ways of working yeah absolutely yeah I don't know if it'll change anytime soon over here but it's still it's still very interesting to me but yeah I'm so glad that you guys do it that way every time I hear about it it sounds yeah it makes sense to me (laughs) but maybe it's because I come from that world as well so I don't yeah I didn't know it any other way coming up so yeah yeah I mean, there's probably a reason why it's evolved like it has, that, you know, it's mm. it's the necessity is the mother of the invent- it, It's evolved like that because it kind of works, maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think, yeah, for some, and it's just like it'd be the same um, in the trainee junior world. Like some people pick up things so much faster than others. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, they may feel that they are kind of held back Um because they have to go through the motions that are kind of set in place. But, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure they all get there eventually. Yeah, absolutely. And so, Kate, if I had you set up at your station and you had all your bits and pieces with you, if I came in and took something away from you, what would you not want to work without on a daily basis? We are quite famous in our, in well, in England, we have this brand which used to be called Le Maquillage and it's now called Mac. Pro MAQ, mm-hmm. I hate to add, um, which is the only wax base. But we have a thing which is called the Pan Pro Palette, which is probably God knows how many colours. There's one for light skins and one for dark skins. And I know that with those that palette or those two palettes, I can pretty much cover almost every scenario eyeshadows lipsticks um prosthetics i know and it, and and i know that a lot of people will have these palettes and so i know that i could say to somebody oh you know use number 14 under the eye and they would know instantly what what we were talking to so that without my grand palette i feel a little bit 
insecure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so that would be my that would be my big big saving. That would be my big one. And what one person would you like to hear on the podcast? Wow, what one person would I like to? Have you had Daniel Phillips on? No. Oh, so he, he's one butter. He's a very charming, very clever makeup man who's so he did Bond. So he's a big name, and I think mm-hmm. he'd be very. He's a very brilliant hairdresser and makeup artist. Awesome. So I think it would be lovely to hear. And I think Asta Asta Hashoff um from I don't know if it's Norway or Iceland that she's based, but she's okay. an absolute genius. So that would be another one. Love it. Kate, I am so glad that we finally got to tee this up and to chat. And thank you for coming on the podcast. It's been awesome. Thank you so much, Jamie Lee. And it's lovely to chat to you. Okay, Last Looks crew, thanks for listening. And remember, if you love it, share it. A quick scroll down and you'll find our show notes. Or maybe you'd like to give your support and leave a five-star review. Search The Last Dogs Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, or TikTok, whichever one tickles your fancy. And a massive shout out to the husband, Brett Stanley. Without his patience and tech support, this whole podcast situation simply does not happen. And cheers to Liliana Rose for her fabulous voice acting talents. Okay, Last Looks crew, that's a wrap for me. I don't need to be told twice to get out of here. So bye. I'll catch you on the flip side. That's a wrap, people.